everybody and welcome to episode 3 of Let's Hope the Weather Holds. Today I speak to Tanner Flake, also known as Tuna, from Tenkara Rodco, the company that made Tenkara Fishing freaking cool. Tenkara Fishing, Japanese fly fishing, so if you're interested in that, have a listen. Let's Hope the Weather Holds, coming to you straight from Auckland, New Zealand and Idaho, USA at the same time. How does that work? Magic. Let's go. Welcome, Tanner Flake. Welcome to Let's Hope the Weather Holds. Uh, we're here to talk about Tenkara fishing. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm awesome, excited. Awesome. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. <laughs> I'm honored. You said in your email you're honored, but I'm honored. You freaking uh, are one of the founders of Tenkara Rodco and you're talking to me. So yeah, awesome. I, I'm, I'm really psyched. I think yeah. my first question is, how did the name Tuna come to be? Because um, on all the videos, because I'm on your mailing list, yes, and I'm always commenting on your Instagram account because uh, uh, it sucks that Tenkara fishing isn't legal in New Zealand. We'll talk about that later. But yeah. you're Tuna in all those videos. How, how did that name come up? Yeah, so it's, it's funny. I wish I had like some amazing story for it. But uh, really, it started with my friend's mom when I was like, when I was in elementary school. She would call me Tuna sometimes, like as <laughs> short for Tanner. Okay. Cool. Um, didn't really make sense to me, and it didn't really stick back then. But she was like one of the first to to call me Tuna. And then uh, I worked construction, like all grown up in high school and stuff. So then there was this this old guy I worked with, super cool guy, and he just always had like nicknames for everyone. So he started calling rather than calling me Tanner, he'd call me Tan or tan man and then it <laughs> went from tan to tan man to tune and then tune just turned into tuna so he just yeah and that just kind of stuck and then especially with fishing and stuff like that just some of my friends around here started calling me tuna and now there's a lot of people that don't even know my real name they just know me by tuna <laughs> yeah, man, i was googling like mad just to get your real name and it didn't come up it's like <laughs> It, there's That's a probably the first person to google me <laughs> <laughs> there's the outside online article the outside magazine and oh, they yeah. basically say that you and drew so they said tuna and drew holland max <laughs> so he got a name and a surname, and you just got tuna so <laughs> all right good. That's good i kind of like it though it's very fitting at the moment if you think about what you're doing now yeah yeah and the funny thing is is that people always think this is funny how I run a fishing rod company and for a long time I was allergic to fish I was allergic <laughs> to tuna so oh, really? I was to myself <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny dude so but okay. now I'm, like now I can eat it I stayed away from tuna from rainbow trout like any kind of trout I couldn't have fish I mean I could have like certain kinds but only a couple kinds and now like the doctors said stay away from it don't touch it for like a few years and then you can try again. I've been trying again. So now I've just been eating tuna like crazy. That is super weird, dude. That's like um, <laughs> destiny. Like you're embracing destiny there. Um, yeah. on, on that note, do you only catch and release or do you sometimes show the fish the inside of your kitchen? Yeah. So 99% of the time I'm catch and release. Okay, cool. Um, 
but like for example i just did a float with some friends we call it the dam to manan float um where we're getting drift boats we had two drift boats six guys and it's three nights four full days of fishing nonstop. and we float down the entire south fork of the snake river which is out here like right by my house yeah um it's like 66 river miles and uh fishing is just phenomenal the entire time and in that river, they have rainbow trout, cutthroat trout, uh, brown trout, and a few others. Um, but the rainbow trout and cutthroat trout, they spawn at almost the same time. Their spawning times kind of overlap. Yeah. And so it creates a hybrid trout. And that hybrid is, uh, they don't want that hybrid in the river. In fact, they don't want rainbow trout in the river because it's threatening the native cutthroat trout, which is yeah. the... Yellowstone cutthroat trout. Yeah, yeah. So because of that, fishing game here in Idaho actually encourages you to keep and kill rainbows and the hybrids. So much so that they put a tiny little microchip in their nose that you can't even see like the scar from it or anything. So when they catch these fish in the fish traps in the spring, they put these little microchips in there. And what you're supposed to do as an angler is cut off the head of this rainbow trout that you're going to take home and eat and uh, put it in with your license information and stuff like that in this freezer at the boat ramp and then they run that through a scanner and if you win they notify you and you can win anywhere anything from like I think $50 there's a bunch of $50 fish swimming around and there's like one or two thousand dollar fish every year wow. that are put into the river so Have they try yeah, they, I haven't won anything yet, but um, a couple of the heads I, I haven't turned in because it's hard to turn them in because that cheek meat yeah. on trout is so good. I don't know. If oh, you know really? I didn't know that, dude. What, what do you do with the cheek meat? So the cheek meat, it's nice to cook the whole head. You know, obviously you got the fish, but um, you cook the whole mm -hmm. head. So, yeah, my long story short is that on this damn to Manan trip, we specifically did not bring enough food, so we had to catch rainbow trout or <laughs> trout. That's cool. And, uh, eat them. and luckily, the first day we caught like quite a few nice ones, so we had plenty. That's awesome. But uh, yeah, we didn't turn in the heads because that cheek meat, whether you wrap it in foil, put it on the grill, whatever, it's just right there, like kind of on the gill plate, and it's just right where you would think cheek meat would be and you just kind of pull it out and it's just this little ball oh, wow. um, and it's just like kind of the the delicacy i guess i haven't tried that yet i'm gonna try that for sure um it's interesting yeah. that that you said um that you guys have to take fish uh i think it was last year or or two years ago um the fishing game in new zealand said the amount uh that you can take from the um, Topo Lake. So the Tongariro River, which is a very famous river in New Zealand for fly fishing, flows into the um, to the Topo Lake, and the fish swim up and down to spawn. And there's a bag limit, and then they pushed that bag limit up um, two years ago, about two years ago, because there wasn't enough bait fish to feed all the trout. And then everybody jumped in and just like grabbed as much as they could. Uh, you know, they 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 kind of went up to their bag limit and now two years later the quality of fish and I'm hearing that from all the guides and I was fishing there a couple of weeks ago are amazing man big healthy fish just because the the numbers have come down and there's enough food around and I guess 
with what you guys were doing that does influence the quality quality of fish. But but we're digressing. Let's first define what tenkara fishing is for the fly fisherman out there that hasn't heard about it or has heard about it and doesn't know. And then maybe after that we can touch on how a tenkara rod is set up. So what is yeah what is tenkara uh, fly fishing or is it is it just tenkara? Yeah, so I, I mean, I consider it fly fishing. You're using flies and things, so uh, it's, it's fly fishing in my book. Um, but uh, tenkara fishing is, a lot of people will say, like, it's just fly fishing in a simpler form. So the nice thing about fly fishing or about tenkara fishing is it requires less gear, which yeah. means less money as far as if you're a new person looking to get into it, there's less investment to get started. Um, just because less is more in, in the case of Tenkara. Um, and it can be as, it can be as like uh, detailed as you want it to be, I guess. But Tenkara fishing is rather than having a reel with all your line on it, you have a line uh, attached to the end of your, of your Tenkara rod. So your Tenkara rod, normal than your standard, or it's a little different than your standard uh, nine foot five weight. Uh, you have like, rather than being nine foot, like one of our most popular rods is 12 foot. Okay. So you have a 12 foot rod and you usually fish a line similar to the length of the rod. So a 12 foot rod, 12 foot line or 13 foot line. And then you have like four or five feet of tippet and then your fly. And tippet is just standard monofilament fly line kind of stuff. Um, so that's the main difference is no reel. You have that line attached to the end of your rod, so it limits your casting a little bit. But what we found, especially Tenkara was kind of designed for uh, fishing small creeks, right? That's the way it was intended to be used. Started in Japan long, long time ago. And uh, since then it's evolved a little bit in certain ways, but uh, the nice thing is just how simple it is. You have that minimal amount of gear. They break down really small. So like our 12 foot rod telescopes out to 12 feet and it breaks down to 20 inches. So you have a 20 inch rod that weighs 3.2 ounces that you can put in your backpack, strap it to your bike or whatever you're doing. Um, and uh, it just makes it simple to to get out there and start fishing, whether you've been fishing a long time or you're just getting into it. Um, do, you, do you think the fact that it, it, it breaks down to such small pieces uh, has opened it up to a different market, like guys who are going hiking will now pack a rod just because it's so much easier than just taking a reel and freaking all that gear, which I, I yeah. also have. It's, it's, sometimes I'm just like, I'm just gonna leave it at home rather. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's like um, a lot of people that's how a lot of people have gotten into it. They're already, maybe fishing is not their hobby currently, but like backpacking is their hobby or mountain biking or something like that. And they realize that they're crossing over these streams or going up to these lakes and stuff like that. And they're always like, oh, it'd be fun to fish that. Yeah. So now they can get a Tenkara rod. Cause like I said, where you don't have a whole lot of gear. So the price point is easy to get into. Yeah. And then lightweight and also you know if you're backpacking or something you're not carrying a bunch of weight and you're not carrying a bunch of gear so yeah we found that definitely a lot of people that 
fishing was not their main hobby. They had other hobbies and fishing just complemented it really well or Tenkara fishing complemented it really well. Okay. Yeah, well, that sounds like I always, when we go hiking, I'm like, okay, I'm taking the rod along and it always ends up staying in the car. Um, yeah. There's, there's a bunch of stuff that you need. Um, mm -hmm. And so would you, would you just say it's, it's very close to uh, check nymphing in its approach? Just basically mm -hmm. that you're in contact with the, the line the whole time. Is that how you could, could kind of also summarize it or am I a bit off there? No, for sure. That's, and there's lots of different ways that you can fish these tank car rods too. So like check nymphing kind of thing. Um, that was actually the way I very first, the first time I fished a 10 car rod was with a check nymph set up. And uh, I had just nymphed this run with a standard fly rod, nine foot five weight. Um, I just nymphed this little riffle and I think I caught or hooked one fish out of it or something, but it wasn't super productive. And then my friend had his Tenkara rod and with a check nymph set up and he was fishing it and he was just hooking like fish after fish. And I was like, what are you doing different? Yeah, <laughs> He's yeah. like, well, you know, the flies were a little bit different, but uh, it was the way it was his presentation and how he had like such a good presentation and the swing at the end, he would swing those flies at the end and that was getting a lot of fish to strike as well. So, okay, now that you said presentation, that was one of my questions later. Um, because I've, you know, I've realized like, um, especially in the, uh, when I was fishing the Tongariro uh, earlier this month, dude, you can put, put a line and, and flies through a pool and you can do it 50 times. And if it's not at the correct depth or it's not presented well, you're not going to get any takes. And then you just shift that, that, that indicator like 10 centimeters and boom, you, you just get the yeah. tap. Like, <clears throat> would there be, um, like, I wonder if there's a lot, a lot of drag on a Tenkara presentation or you, can you put some slack in it? How, how do you approach that? I, I don't understand that actually a hundred percent. Yeah. So the nice thing with Tenkara is you have these really long rods. Like I was, like I was saying, right. So you have like a 12 foot rod. Um, we even have one that's 14 and a half feet. So you have this really long rod and a short line. So you can kind of high stick and keep most yeah. of that line up off the water yeah. to where it's just the tip of your line and your tippet and flies that's in the water. And yeah. then you're getting like an amazing presentation because yeah, you don't yeah. have a line that's pulling it, dragging it in different directions. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. It's like, you know, I think sometimes we as fishermen might forget how important presentation is yeah. like, this is what these fish do. It's their job to eat and survive, right? These, yeah, yeah, these fish sure. are in these riffles. They know what natural nymphs, what natural dry flies look like. They know what food is supposed to look like. And if all of a sudden a fly comes through and it's not drifting exactly the way that all the other food they eat looks, then they'll just totally ignore it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's why you're saying like you could cast into a pool 50 times until you get the perfect presentation, like a perfect drift, or you adjust your indicator, your depth, whatever it might be, um, those fish just ignore it. But once you get that perfect presentation, they'll swim five feet over for it. You know, yeah. it's just yeah. get that good presentation and then they're, they're willing to eat. 
yeah and then you go to like you you change that one thing and that same pool that you've been standing at for so long suddenly gives you like three or four or five bites and you're like oh okay well <laughs> the problem was me the problem wasn't the fish um yeah i, I want to backtrack a bit how, how did you start fishing like did you grow up in idaho how did that kind of come about no it's funny i actually grew up in arizona um i was just telling a friend just the other day like how it's it's interesting how I got into this fishing and and all that stuff because I didn't grow up in a family that fished a lot I always as a little kid had an interest in fishing and I would go anytime I could I'd just fish ponds around Arizona and stuff and then uh, I ended up coming up here to visit a buddy because he was like hey I'm I'm working as a fly fishing guide in in East Idaho so I came up and stayed with him for like a week and uh, we went fishing like every day and I was just hooked after that in fact after that um, the very next summer I ended up moving up to to Driggs Idaho and getting a job at a golf course uh, I was a, a cart boy at like a private golf course where you you know like wipe off their clubs when they're done playing yeah. and, stuff and, and uh, I would just fish like crazy so Ever since then, I've never gone back to Arizona. Well, I've gone back to visit, but I've never yeah. lived in Arizona. I've just been in Idaho and stuff ever since. And then um, how, how did you and, because you can say it's you and Drew that started Tinkara Rodco, right? Uh-huh. So how did you guys meet? And then then how did the idea of like, uh, let's actually start a freaking rod company come up? Because that's kind of a huge thing, you know, you're up against massive uh, companies, Orvis, you know, whatever, name them. And they're so well established. And now there's these two guys and like, okay, we're going to start our own thing. Like how did you meet him? And how did that kind of conversation begin? Yeah. So Drew and I, we, we met, we were buddies through like some mutual friends and stuff. And so we knew each other for probably like four, yeah, like three or four years at least until before we started Tenkar Rodko. And, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty good buddies, not super close, but good buds. And then he was talking to me one day cause he had run some other businesses and he was talking to me like, Hey, have you heard of this Tenkara fishing? Have you ever done it before? I was like, yeah, I've done it just a couple times. It's super fun. And I, cause he didn't know much about it. And so I was just, and I didn't know much about Tenkara fishing either, but I'd been at least fly fishing for, you know, a few years at that point. And uh, so he was just kind of asking my thoughts on it and said, well, I'm thinking about starting this business. What do you think? And I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Like go for it. And I actually wasn't like a part owner of the business or anything at the time um, until, but I was like working for Drew and I was helping him with the first Kickstarter, um, getting things set up and then shipping it and stuff like that. And I became an owner of it later and started a, taking on more of a role, but I was actually in school to be a paramedic at the time when we started the business. So I was kind of focusing on that and going down that path. And um, I did that and worked as a paramedic for a while and loved it. And then Tenkara was just taken off. So I kind of had to choose Yeah, like if I wanted to be a paramedic or if I wanted to go full time with Tenkara and uh, I just chose to go full time and you know, it's been great so you're uh, yeah yeah the paramedic thing is cool um uh the guy, guy i canceled the uh, um my pod interview with earlier this week 
because I was high on drugs because of my shoulder operation. Listeners, I had a shoulder operation on Monday and I've been high on, on pain meds up to like 10 hours ago. But anyway. Um, You're feeling better now? Yeah, yeah. I'm all good. I've got no pain. Uh, and it's my casting hand, dude. So uh, Tenkara would help in this way because now I don't, then I don't need to cast. I can just like high stick it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and you can just hit it with your left hand, too. That's what I do sometimes. There you go, dude. It's so easy. It's like... <laughs> uh, I did this course with him called Stop the Bleed. Um, and for the company's name is Pracmed. And where they basically deal with major hemorrhaging, like uh, how to apply tourniquets, how to like use pressure points to stop uh, arterial bleeds and all that mm -hmm. stuff and it's pretty cool man it's super exciting i know it sounds weird to say that but i mean you want to be a paramedic and um i'm looking forward to talking to him but okay anyway so how did you come up with the let's do a kickstarter and what was the aim of that money was it to kind of just finance the first rods or what what was like the goal of kickstarter campaign one yeah so the kickstarter was like we were doing our research and stuff when we were thinking about doing this company and looking there just wasn't a whole lot of information out there on it so we did the kickstarter mostly to see if there was a market for this like if people wanted 10 car rods um so we started that kickstarter i think we asked for like five thousand dollars on that first one and i i'd have to go back and see but i think we were close to a hundred thousand or we might have gone over a hundred thousand on that first one so then we saw right away like oh there is a market like people right, yeah. want this people want you know something different as far as when it comes to fly fishing maybe it's the price point maybe it's the simplicity yeah but uh yeah we just wanted to see if there was a market and then uh we just went from there so we got those rods uh shipped out to everyone and then what what we, rod was that was that the bear that was the teton sawtooth we started with two rods that was it the Teton and the Sawtooth. And uh, since then we've, we've changed those rods and we've come out with a lot of different new rods and stuff. But uh, yeah, that was our first one. I think now we've done, we've done quite a few Kickstarters, five or six of them now. And, and have you had the same response to all the Kickstarters? Yeah, really good response from them. Um, it usually seems to be uh, better than we expect as far as the response we get from it. And uh, it's been fun. It's just a good way. The Kickstarter is a great way for us to just kind of get the word out there and, and help to hype up like a new product that's coming out. And where do you market it? Like all your social media and that's it? And on uh, Kickstarter or how does yeah, it? Yeah, and then like some, you know, kind of your standard Facebook marketing, a little bit on Instagram, Google and stuff like that. And then you use that money to, to kind of finance the first production of, of a specific rod and just kind yeah, of. Yeah, so the money we get from Kickstarter, that's all going back into, um, of course, getting those rods and the product that people ordered from Kickstarter, sh shipping all that stuff to those people first. And then we put that money back into uh, production of usually the same rod. So like, for example, our most recent Kickstarter was the Beartooth. And uh, we took that money that was left over after fulfilling all those orders from Kickstarter and put it into buying more Beartooth rods and getting more of those made. That's so awesome. 
have like a supply for our online sales. And how did, how do you find someone that makes rods? I know there's, you know, you can buy blank rods, but you can't just like contact the nearest guy to make a Tenkara rod. How did you do that? Was it yeah. You? So Drew, Drew's really good at all that. He does a great job of sourcing things from all over, all over the place. And, uh, it took a little while, but, uh, we kind of talked to a few different manufacturers and the manufacturer we currently have, we have a really good relationship with them. Um, we've been out there to visit them in the factory a few times. And then they even come out here like last summer, they were out here and we took them to Yellowstone. We talked, we took them out to, to shoot guns and stuff. They thought that was the coolest thing to go out and shoot like a rifle and and (laughs) they thought it was like, the best (laughs) we have a great relationship with them and uh and i feel like that helps to keep like our quality control up and things like that just having like a good relationship with them you know we know each other we know their kids we know their their wives and stuff like that and and we've got to meet like the whole family so it's it's been fun it's been a good relationship that's awesome yeah yeah if you've got that relationship you know it's it's going somewhere right in the future so what is your closest water? Like if you get up now and you have to go fishing, what's the closest like decent spot to you're in Idaho in where in Idaho? I'm in Rexburg. I, yeah. I'm like right outside of Rexburg, Idaho. Okay. Um, outside the city there. But uh, so I'm close. I'm very close to the South Fork of the snake. I'm okay. about like a 10 minute drive oh, from there. Cool. And then I'm like a 10 minute drive to the Henry's fork and about a 10 minute drive to the Teton river. Um, Damn, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, just centrally located to lots of good rivers and then uh, lots of good creeks and stuff within like an hour to within an hour, two hours of here, we have some amazing fishing. And, and what's, what's the native uh, species there? Because obviously you've got a, a, some put fish by, by your departments of conservation or game and fish. So what's the native species in, in the area where you're in? So the native species around here is the Yellowstone cutthroat trout and the Snake River fine spotted cutthroat trout. Okay, cool. And then of course like the mountain whitefish. And really that's about it as far as your trout species and stuff goes. Uh, the brown trout, were, we have brown trout in some of the rivers around here. Those were introduced. Uh, and the rainbow trout, those were introduced as well. Um, and so because of the, like I was talking about earlier with the rainbow trout breed, uh, making a hybrid trout with when they breed with the yeah. uh, cutthroat, um, because of that, they have some very strict rules and regulations on what fish you can keep and what fish need to be put back immediately and even like some of the creeks the tributaries to these rivers where these cutthroat trout spawn in the spring um they're closed until a lot of them until the first of july until you're able to get out there and fish but it's good because it's protecting you know where these fish are spawning so and it's wild trout like we're lucky these fish most places out here aren't stocked um, yeah, it's awesome. all just wild populations of trout. So it's, it's awesome. Yeah. I think it's really cool because New Zealand, you know, we've got wild trout, but they were introduced a couple of hundred years ago. So now you've got some, some introduced, um, 
most of it's wild, but still, you know, it, it would be super rad fishing waters where, you know, these things have been here for like a couple of thousand years. I think yeah. that my, my brother lives in, in Maryland in the States. Um, and after all this COVID bullshit is done, uh, I'll go visit him. But one of my goals is to just go catch some native species of something, you know, <laughs> not just, not just um, uh, uh, something that's been put, even if it's a couple of hundred years ago. Um, Fun. Yeah. There's something about that that just like ties you back to history, you know, yeah, for sure, dude. fish has been here for forever. You know, it's been here like longer than I have. Yeah. And you've been, you're becoming part of that cycle in a way. I think that's yeah. um, the thing with like fishing and with hunting and all that stuff. It just kind of brings you closer to, to that. Um, am, am I right to say you guys are making b bigger and bigger rods at the moment? As the, is that because of the demand, because of the conversation, kind of like you can't catch big fish on Tenkara, or is, is am I kind of off? Uh, no, like you're, yeah, we have come out with some, we had like two big fish rods. We had the Oahe and the Grand Teton. And really what we found is that we don't need two big fish rods. We just need one. Okay. And so it took the Oahe and the Grand Teton, we took benefits and stuff from both of those and we made the Rocky and that's like a new rod that we just came out with as, as well. And it's a zoom rod. So it, uh, you can fish it at two different lengths. That's awesome. Yeah. And so that, that just kind of eliminated some confusion as far as like, cause people would be like, do I get the Grand Teton or do I get the Oahe? Well, no, don't get either one of those. Just get the Rocky. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We get, get so, both. <laughs> So we did that. And then also, yeah, we want to, um, you know, Tenkara fishing, Tenkara style fishing is a certain style of fishing. So you use a Tenkara fly. Um, a lot of times you use a certain type of line and you fish it a certain way. Like you kind of get a dead drift with a swing at the end. You could do a little twitch kind of thing. So there's like Tenkara style fishing and then there's nymphing there's check nymphing, there's dry flies and all this, all these different like subcategories within Tenkara fishing. And we're just the kind of people like Drew and I and our brand, we're the kind of people that want to kind of push the limits a little bit. We want to show people like, oh yeah, someone says you can't catch salmon on a Tenkara rod. So we took a trip to Alaska and caught salmon on Tenkara rods and big rainbow trout. And so obviously there are some limits, you know, there's some fish that are just too big, too explosive, whatever. But we just want to show people the main thing is that you're just getting out, exploring, having fun and trying things. You don't have to stick to like just one style of fishing, like get out and try different styles and see what you like. Um, it's interesting because, um, I started Googling like catching large fish on, on Tinkara. And then obviously the, the rod throwing thing came up and oh, yeah. uh, one of your videos is like, Oh, we actually threw a rod and it mm -hmm. was <laughs> interesting. And it, it was a, this page came up. It was actually one of your competitors. And then the dude on the page was like, um, even though we really like simple fly fishing by Yvonne Chouinard, <laughs> They say you should throw your rod, but you shouldn't throw our rods. <laughs> so I thought that was like, like super funny that that someone was dissing Yvonne Chouinard, which is like dissing freaking Yoda, man. 
And <laughs> it's like, oh, Yoda knows about the Force, but he doesn't really know about the Force. Um, <laughs> so so um, that, that's the one thing that came up. And then the other thing that came up is on Wikipedia, uh, if, you, if you read through the Wikipedia page on Tenkara, it says, Tenkara are for those guys obsessed with catching fish and not obsessed with gear. <laughs> so, so I thought that was funny. So on that note, do you throw a rod or do you not throw a rod? And why would you throw a rod? Because well, that was a foreign concept to me until I started reading about. So what is the, what is the thought initially about why would you throw a rod and kind of how have you guys changed that? Because you obviously have catching salmon and stuff like that. Yeah, so the thought initially, at least as far as I understand it, is uh, if you have a huge fish on and that fish is sometimes like you catch a fish, you hook that fish, and once that fish realizes it's hooked, it will just take off, right? Some of them jump, some of them go straight to the bottom and hold, and some of them like rainbow trout, um, they like to just like swim for the other side of the river or lake or whatever you're fishing. So when a fish is doing that, I think like Yvonne Chouinard and those guys that talked about um, some of the first guys to talk about throwing your rod, they're saying when the fish is doing that, just throw your rod because what will happen is when that fish doesn't feel the tension on it anymore, it thinks like everything's back to normal and it will go back to the hole or whatever that it was feeding it, like it's a little feeding lane. And then you should be able to just get out into the water and retrieve your rod and then retrieve that fish. Into the water. <laughs> and hopefully that fish is a little more tired out and stuff. But I think I've, I've thrown a rod, I think only once. Um, I like the challenge of like, you know, you got a big old fish on there and that's trying to take off. And, you know, I've broke off a few fish. Definitely. I mean, who I hasn't? Broke off fish on, on the fly. So, you know, yeah, it happened. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, those just make for good stories because then, like, when a fish breaks you off, you're like, oh, that thing was just massive, man. I mean, yeah, yeah we never saw it. We never held it, but it was huge, right? It's just a fish story. I mean, that's what we all love. That's why we yeah, all do this crap, right? <laughs> so, yeah, it's. Uh, I think I've thrown them, like, once. Drew, he he was into throwing them for a while, man. He was chucking rods all the time. I'm like, dude, just because you own the company, man, doesn't mean you can just throw our stuff all the time. <laughs> but... Uh, no, he, he, so he throws them sometimes, sometimes he doesn't, he, you know, he's kind of like me, he likes to challenge every once in a while, but it is kind of cool to see him, uh, to see what the fish does, how the fish reacts when you throw the rod, because yeah, yeah. they really do just kind of calm down. Like, even if you have a fish on sometime, you can try it, like fight that fish, put tension on that fish and then just give it slack and see what happens. Yeah, that yeah. fish will usually calm down within a few seconds. So do you guys fish um, barbless or not? Um, as much as we can, yeah. And, and don't they then know, just spit it out when you're chucking the rod or giving them slack? Or uh, Yeah, that's the problem you'll run into, is, uh, especially with a barbless hook, is you could, that ends up slipping or whatever. And whoever, I don't know who it was that said, yeah, like, you can throw rods, but don't throw our rods. Um, and, you know, I get what they're saying because... I've even had customers like, well, hey, man, I threw, your, threw my rod because you guys said throw your rod in the video. And, uh, and I couldn't get it. Like, <laughs> what can you do for me, you know? And it's like, well, well shoot, man. <laughs> what would you throw your rod for? He's like, what you said to me? <laughs> Fucking funny, dude. Uh, 
uh, kind of like, well, okay, just do it at your own discretion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll email you guys after this and go like, hey, I bought a rod. I threw it. Can you send me a new rod? And then post pictures with a rod and then you have to believe me and then you'll have to send me a rod. You know, that's a very clever idea. Just don't buy a rod and say you threw a rod. Yeah, it's very clever. Very good business idea there. Um, <laughs> so, so have you had like a encountered like a weird perception about Tenkara from like normal fly fishermen? Because, you know, I, I, I know some guys were heavy into fly fishing, see check nymphing as a cop out. They're mm -hmm. like, oh, you can't fly fish, so you're check nymphing because it's easier, you know, which is freaking nonsense, according to me. Um, and I suck at fly fishing, dude. I like, I'm like the worst fly fisherman out there. Like the amount of days I've come back with nothing is pathetic. You know, <laughs> like, but, us, right? you know, so, so, but have people been like, mm, that's not really fly fishing. I'm like a purist and blah, blah, blah. Or have everybody been like super interested? Yeah. Well, it's like everyone wants to label someone as everyone wants to label everyone. Right. So yeah. it's like, label them as like oh well you tenkara fish because you don't know how to cast it's like okay well let's go have a casting competition then if that's what we have to do to prove it to you or something yeah 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 but really it's just another form of getting out and enjoying the outdoors yeah for like, sure uh, i think fly or tenkara fishing has i don't i don't know if some people in the fly fishing world feel threatened by it or what but uh, yeah, they just, some people like to knock it, but um, it's just another tool. It's like another arrow to add to your quiver yeah, as sure. far as another tool to go out and catch fish. And it's super fun. I think most people that have gone out and really tried it with an open mind um, have had a lot of fun doing it. And there's definitely a place for Tenkara. And then there's, you know, sometimes there's a place where a fly rod would work better. Yeah. But um, yeah. there's, definitely times where a 10 car rod would work a lot better on some of the small streams and stuff. And, and even on like a big river, like the South Fork of the snake that I've mentioned a few times is it's a big river. And, uh, when cutties, when those cutthroat are, are eating in the riffles, so they're in like shallow water and they're eating small dry flies like PMDs. Um, I will definitely pull out a 10 car rod cause they'll just be right they'll be right in front of you yeah. and you can just pick them off. I mean, you can just catch one after another and it's so fun with the Tenkara rod fighting those fish and casting like your accuracy can be so pinpoint and you can just put it exactly where you want. Cause you're casting the same am amount of line every single time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your distance is not changing. The only way you're changing your distance is if you fully extend your the rod on your cast or sometimes you kind of short cast it if yeah. you need to need a little shorter cast how often do you uh, traditional fly fish now do you decora much more or are you kind of just doing whatever you dig for the day um, i still i still have some other rods and stuff and i'll still traditional fly fish um and but like i said there's definitely places where i'm not even going to bring my my five weight or six weight or whatever i'm just going to bring a 10 car rod yeah um, and then there's other times where if i need a little bit more reach or something like that then i'll bring uh my other rod as well and that's another thing like some 
some of the Tenkara brands and stuff, they say like, you have to be like a purist Tenkara fisherman or like, we can't take you seriously or something. It's like, whatever, you know, just we're all out here supposed to be having a good time and everyone just gets a little too uppity about it sometimes. But, you know, and Drew and I, we're, we're the kind of guys that we're fishermen, but I also like to hunt a lot. Um, we like to ride mountain bikes. Um, you know, trail running, like all kinds of different things. We have all kinds of different hobbies. Drew yeah. and I have families yeah. and stuff too. So uh, we, we go out and do these other hobbies and Tenkara, it just complements them. Like it's just, uh, we're not just doing Tenkara fishing all the time. We have lots of other things we like to do too. And Tenkara just can happen to go hand in hand with them most of the time. How, how big is the hunting in Idaho? Hunting's pretty big here. Yeah, there's, because uh, you have a lot of different species. So you have white-tailed deer, which you find white-tailed deer almost anywhere in the U.S. or in the or 48 or whatever. And uh, so you have some white-tailed deer, but you have mule deer, you have elk, um, you have mountain goats you can hunt, bears, all kinds of stuff. You have lots of, lots of hunting here. That's awesome. And then you're always crossing over creeks and stuff, because you got to hunt near water for all these, all these animals need water. And uh, man, to have a ten car rod in your hunting yeah. pack, yeah, and you go out and ten car rods to a lot of hunters just for that reason. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, I've um, did a lot of hunting in South Africa because I moved um, to New Zealand from South Africa two years ago. There's a lot of stuff to hunt in South Africa, man. Um, I really oh, yeah. like blue wildebeest hunting. And then I just got my um, firearms license in New Zealand uh, like three weeks ago we went into lockdown again now and i had the shoulder up so when my shoulders fixed um yeah i joined the <clears throat> the deer hunters club the deer stalkers club and they have a lot of club hunts it's the only way to get to know like how to hunt on public land here because it's it's chaos like for you to figure out where to go if yeah. someone doesn't show you the first couple of times it's really difficult as you're yeah. new in the country and you're new to the, the style of hunting there's a lot of different deer species here and then uh feral goats which is basically like a farm goat that just got out and they just kind of multiplied in droves and there's mm-hmm. some big hunting here but i'm really looking forward to getting uh deer hunting yeah yeah, yeah. And all on public land and um a lot of forest hunting like dense dense forest and then on the south island because i'm i'm in auckland on the north island uh there's like alpine hunting uh tar and uh chamois and that's yeah. above the tree line, man. And you're basically just going up there and, and, and yeah. So, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff to do in the outdoors if you're into hunting and fishing and, and a lot of cool stuff. Um, especially if you're into kind of, you know, breaking the mold and not being so traditionalist about it and kind of just out there to have fun. That's, that's freaking awesome. But what I want to hear about is um, you came to fish in New Zealand. When was that? And, and, and how did the Tenkara fishing go? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, we planned a trip to New Zealand. It was probably, probably like four years ago or so. And, uh, we, we'd been planning it for a little while. Uh, Drew called and he talked to fish and game. And as far as I know, the conversation, he, he just kind of asked him like, Hey, what, uh, can we bring 10 car rods? Is it just like something that's on the books, but you guys are okay with, or like, what's the, like, what are the rules behind this law? Because it seems kind of wild. And I forget the wording on it exactly, but it's something, 
it doesn't specifically say no tenkara fishing. It says something about like fishing with a fixed line. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. Because, and I think in certain places like Alaska fishing with a fixed line, they're referring mostly to people that would go out and like snag fish with like a yeah. big trap hook and a fixed line. Yeah. So I think that's really, they're not like targeting tenkara, no. but tenkara happens to fall under that to where it's illegal in New Zealand. Yeah. And so, yeah, we tried to kind of get more info and see if like we could bring them out there, but they simply just said, uh, it'd be best if you just leave the 10 car rods at home. <laughs> Super polite, right? Super polite. Yeah. So of course we brought a couple like just in case, but you know, we can't, we can't like break the, the country's laws. You know, we didn't want to be guests in the, in the country of New Zealand and, and be going around Tenkara fishing if it's illegal. So we didn't use them. We had other rods that we were using and stuff, but. Uh, so I think yeah. the wording also refers to a reel. So it defines fly fishing as something with a reel. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't even think those guys knew what Tinkara was. And then yeah. somewhere someone had a query about it and they're like, Oh, Oh no, wait, the definition says this. And here, what I've learned here is dude, if there's a definition for something, you freaking stick to it because everybody will think you're basically like selling heroin you know because you're not following that one definition i like to to them it's like and that's why the society works you know there's very low crime all this stuff because everybody just follows the definitions they don't really question why yeah. um, but so wh where did you fish were you on the south island north island did you fish both or what, what did you do? south island the whole time we had about we had like well, we had like two weeks, but you know, you guys live down under, so it takes a whole day and a half to get there. <laughs> yeah, so, dude. yeah, but uh, we had like a week and a half pretty much of fishing. We rented this little van, I don't even know what kind of van it was, it had like a whale painted on the side <laughs> of it, kinds of stuff. And uh, we just did our own research, we love doing it that way, it's fun to like not hire a guide and just kind of try and pick other people's brains and get some ideas of some good spots. Um, Lars, he's, he's like, uh, he goes with us on a lot of these trips. He does like all of our video and photography and doing sales managing and stuff for us. And so he had been there before. And so he had a good idea of what rivers to hit Sweet. and just flew into Christchurch, got that little rig. And then the nice thing is there's, a good amount of public land and then even the private land uh there's lots of like landowners that'll have a sheep farm and a gate it's all fenced in and like on the gate just those little signs that say yes you can camp here please no fires and you can fish here and this and that and so it kind of like lists out the rules and it's super nice like people were very nice was not hard at all to find a place just to park that thing and camp for the night and uh yeah people were very nice and receptive to us going fishing down there did you catch a lot of fish what did you yeah catch? yeah we caught a lot of a lot of fish a lot of browns a lot of rainbows um but yeah we got a few nice ones got a bunch of photos and stuff we just never really shared a whole lot of it on our tankara because it wasn't done with a tankara yeah, rod. yeah yeah, yeah for sure yeah standard fly rod but uh did yeah, you catch was, some monsters because there's big fish here man yeah, we didn't get any, like, beasts. I think the biggest one was, like, a 23, 24-inch. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a really nice big one on, and it 
we almost had it netted a couple times. Drew had it netted and actually, or no, almost netted. And then the thing swam between his legs and broke off. <laughs> yeah, we got a couple yeah. good looks at it. It was a big brown, but uh, that I think that was probably the biggest one. Oh, shoot. Drew had a, he had a mouse eater there. We oh, found wow. this spring creek that uh, it was this tiny little spring creek in the middle of this, like, uh, I don't know what you would even call it, like a bog. Yeah, yeah, marshy sands or something. Yeah, yeah, marshy. So we're walking through this nasty, wet stuff to get there. We get there, and Drew's like, "Should I put a mouse on?" I was like, "Yeah, dude, put a mouse on. Why not? Let's just see if there's stuff in here." Because we didn't even know if there'd be fish in it. Because we'd never hit it, never heard anything of it, and uh, Drew threw a mouse on, and like, this brown comes up from the bottom. Like he eats mice every day, like it's his job. He's just like not excited. He's just coming up all slow, like oh, another mouse. And he just <laughs> comes up all slow with his mouth wide. I mean, this thing was huge. His head was like as big as mine, and he comes up with his mouth wide open, just ready to just slowly eat this mouse. And Drew got a little excited, and just <laughs> I watched in slow motion as that mouse got ripped out of the fish's <laughs> mouth. Drew setting the hook, and I'm like, ah! <laughs> yeah, that sucks, bro. Oh, it's so good, though. Like, one of those memories you just never forget. Yeah. Oh, man, it's so bad when you when you don't have photo evidence of stuff, you know. I, I had a massive um, rainbow in the net a while ago, and when I lifted it up for the photo, you know, classic, it just jumped out. <laughs> And it yeah, was true. it was like the biggest <laughs> one I caught in my life, you know. And I was like yeah. so proud. I was gonna show everybody, and then I'd send photos to people. I'm like, oh man, that's a big fish. I'm like, yes, but the one got away. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, the big one got away. Yeah, and then how do you do your story right there? <laughs> that's how you go, dude. Um, yeah. how how um how often do you guys get to fly fish? Do you kind of get a day out to test product or whatever? Or do you like make it your mission to to go out and fish? Are you supposed to be fishing now? That's why you can't talk to me kind of thing? Or how, how does that yeah, I should be fishing right now, but I chose to talk to you. Hi, man. Go. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, shoot. Like before I got married, I literally fished every single day, yeah, um, yeah. especially in the summer. I mean, I fished every day and then um, got married and, which was which was good, good for me in general, um, bad for my fishing, I guess. But uh, no, my wife's super understanding, um, and especially with work, it's like I kind of get to say like, "Hey, babe, I gotta go fishing. It's my job. <laughs> Someone's gotta do it, you know." Uh, you don't but, want uh, to, but you're going to. Yeah, I don't. I mean, yes, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's hot weather and. You know, someone's got to go catch these fish, though, and, and stuff. So we get to go quite a bit. I mean, Drew and I, me, Drew, Lars, all the all the guys that uh, work here and stuff, we will go out and fish on our own, like, apart from each other and stuff. And then we get together at least every week or two, usually at least every two weeks, and uh, shoot, like, a little video and just get lots of fishing done and then testing different products, whether it's rods or lines or whatever we definitely get out fishing a lot whether it's together all of us together or even individually we uh we all live close to 
really good water. Drew lives close to some lots of good creeks and good water out there, so we're constantly fishing. And and when you when you do videos, is there just someone going with with a camera and shooting, and you're just doing whatever and kind of talking shit because, like, it looks like a lot of fun what you guys do, right? And um, uh, or do you go okay, we're going to do this? Is it is it just kind of like out of the hip type of stuff, or do you really plan? Uh, specific um, stuff with it. it kind of started like shooting from the hip kind of thing but now we have to we got to try and be a little bit more organized so we go out there with like a game plan of and we really try and listen to our customers as far as if people have requests for certain videos or learning how to do a certain technique or whatever yeah and yeah. we like to try and show people that the best way we can so uh we try and like we'll have a list of certain shots we need to get or just certain videos that we want to make and and then we'll try and knock out a few of those when we get together and go fishing and then all the fun and stuff that's just happens naturally it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. we're all like such good friends and get along so well that it, that's just part of it it's just a fun time anytime we get together and your your marketing is like instagram you're like your biggest thing at the moment um or how do you market magazines yeah how do you yeah, do probably like instagram um youtube you know we're trying to get lots more youtube videos up like every two weeks we're putting a new video up and uh you know magazines and stuff like that help a little bit but we don't do a whole lot of magazine like print uh marketing do most of it online through facebook google yeah. instagram that kind of stuff and and do you have like a, have you done like um market research is there like a specific age of people you're um marketing to or is it like anyone yeah we've definitely done some surveys and stuff to kind of see what our our demographic is and then even just on on our website and stuff we can kind of see you know what what regions are buying more and stuff so yeah that we kind of try and market to a certain generation and I guess if fly fishing in general, uh, me and Drew and some of my other buddies too that I've grown up fishing with, uh, we just got so sick of the stuffiness of fly fishing and how it's, because fly fishing started as kind of like a rich man's sport yeah. or hobby, right? Like, yeah. and in some ways it still kind of is like with how expensive some. Some stuff's expensive, bro. Yeah, I mean, like some of those rods, just the rod is 900 bucks. Yeah, yeah, for so sure. It can be really expensive and intimidating. And we just want to uh, show people that you can do it for less gear and less money and have a lot of fun doing it. So um, we just try and kind of like market our, our branding that way and stuff too. Yeah, I think that's cool that you're doing that, dude, because you know, I've been fishing with guys and then like, we'll be fishing for like five minutes and the guy will just go like, yeah, man, you should really get another reel. <laughs> and then I'm like, like what I'm thinking in my head is like, okay, you, you know, that's what I'm thinking. Like, you know, maybe you can buy me a reel. Cause I trail run, I hunt, I did freaking Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I have to pay those fees. I belong to clubs. Um, yeah. Cool that you're a purist and you're only fly fishing, but like I do whatever I can in the outdoors. Um, and, and so, yeah, dude, I think that's awesome. I just, that message is, is, is massive, you know, because 
the 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 entering into any new sport these days is very intimidating for people because yeah. uh, there's always some guy who's got better gear and and kind of show off about it so so that's awesome um your patagonia trip dude looked super fun and um have they seen anyone using tenkara before because uh uh that looked like they were like what the hell is this because you kind of like introduced it to the guide and then uh, i think you threw a rod in, on one of those trips in, in one of the videos like when was that? That was last year, or and and how yeah, that was just last, uh, last January? We were out there, so uh, yeah, Manu, he's a pro snowboarder, he rides for uh, Jones Snowboards, and he fly fishes a lot. His dad is a fishing guide there, actually, and he'd heard of Tenkara and stuff, but I don't think he'd ever even tried it, as far as I know. And then, uh, but we got him like some gear and stuff, and yeah, he tried it out and then he just, he wanted to keep fishing that way. So uh, he loved it. He had a great time with it and he did a great job of just kind of like showing us around a little bit. And then we also did a lot of exploring on our own too, just like New Zealand. Um, we didn't really have like guides or anything. We just wanted to figure out places on our own. It's fun. Um, you definitely, you know, you have some hit or miss. So you have some, like one creek we went and and we fished a few different spots on it. It was pretty hot. We caught a few really small fish and we weren't really seeing anything bigger. And then there was this girl that her car was broken down. She like broke the axle on her little Subaru actually. And oh, wow. it was hot that day too. And it was hot. And she was sitting out there by herself, like really remote area. And she's just on this dirt road by herself. And we drove by like, Hey, do you need help? And She's like, oh, I got someone coming, but they're not going to be here until like tonight. And it was like 10 o'clock in the morning. We we're like, well, we have, we had everything in the truck because we were just camping and stuff. So we're like, we have water, we have food, let's eat some lunch. So we just like stopped and ate lunch with this girl, you know, fed her some good food, made sure she had plenty of water and tried to fix her car, but it was, it was screwed. So, um, but she did, uh, she was really nice. She's like, I actually live on this river, on this ranch. And I, I, you guys could totally have access, but the big fish are on here in the spring. They're, uh, they're not really here right now. So it was good. You know, I was like, we had a fun experience with her and felt like we did our good deed for the day. Yeah, but yeah. The fishing that day was, was just a, a long yeah, spring. Then you also realize that local knowledge, like you should have been there in spring type of thing. And that makes a huge difference, dude. Yeah, um, for sure. The Tongariro River here is uh, a winter fishery, um, mm -hmm. closed for spawning. Some some areas are, um, but what people don't know is like in summer it's an awesome fishery. So people go like, oh yeah, we're fishing there this winter, but uh, if you want to miss the crowds, um, go there in summer and it's it's just as awesome. The one thing that that COVID's done, dude, is um, a lot of people would have gone overseas for trips and they're now stuck, obviously. And mm -hmm. so you go down to some places and it's packed, man. Like to find a spot where there aren't like 10 people around is super difficult. Yeah. Um, you have to like really just like, you, and, and, and then some of the guys I go with, luckily they're like, oh, if there's someone there, we just go to another spot, mm -hmm. um, which is what you want. You know, in the outdoors, you want to kind of get away from, from uh, everything. Um, so are your, are your trips all tax deductible because it's on the company budget? <laughs> uh, yeah, 
for sure for sure yeah that's the way you want to go right yeah and we and we do i mean we uh we always take like new rods new products with us especially on these big trips and so we do a lot of testing and stuff too so that's i guess the one nice thing with us fishing so much is uh you're getting rods that you're getting product in general that we stand behind because we've used yeah. it a lot and we believe in it and stuff so um yeah we've we have the luxury of going out and testing these things whether it's patagonia or wherever and uh, we get to have a lot of fun doing it but at least we know then we make changes to it and we we put out good products that we know will uh will last so. yeah um one thing we didn't get to was um how do you catch big fish on Tenkara? Like you're not just kind of like, you know, there's a specific way of handling that line. If you know, you've got a monster there. Um, mm. It's bringing in the line and then kind of grabbing the line with your, your free hand or, or how do you approach that? Like if I go get a Tenkara rod and I see I've caught a monster, like, and I kind of don't know what I'm doing. Like what is the best advice you can give me to, to bring in a fish? Yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of steps to catching a big fish on a ten car rod, or even in general. First, obviously, you got to find those big fish, or fish rivers or lakes or whatever that have big fish in it, and know that you have a chance of catching one of those. Um, realizing when these fish are feeding, a lot of times, like in the evenings, early morning, evening, something like that, um, and what these fish are eating, and then. As far as like once you do hook a big fish on a tenkara rod, if everything perfect, you would want to have a line similar to the length of the rod. So if your line's super long, like say you're fishing a 12 foot rod, but you've got a 16 foot line plus a few feet of tippet, so you've really got like 19 feet of line, like that's too much, and that you're you're never going to get that fish really very close to you. That's when you're going to need to grab the line, and that's okay too. I think. Drew just put out a video on Instagram um, of me landing like a bigger, I think it was a bigger fish in Patagonia. And you see me reach down and grab the line a couple of times because what happens is you kind of tire out that fish a little bit or you get it close enough to where you can grab the line. And I grab the line, but I still have the rod in my hand and the rod still has some bend in it. So if that fish does take off really hard, I just let go of the line and then the fish is back on the rod. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. you definitely don't want to like wrap the line around your hand or anything like that, because yeah. then when that fish takes off for a run, it's just going to break your fly, break your line. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you can, you can still bring them in by yourself, even with no net, just by grabbing the line, it's okay to grab that. And you can kind of just slowly work your hand down and then reach down and grab the fish. Um, if you have a buddy that has a net, that's even better. Obviously. Yeah, for sure. Help you land that fish really quick. But um, yeah, most of the time you can land these fish a lot faster than you think. Um, so that is kind of some arguments that we hear from some people sometimes is that you tire out fish too much with Tenkara. And that's just not true. In fact, it's the opposite. You don't have a lot of lines. So these fish aren't taking off. So for example, I mean, we had like the best proof of all in Alaska. In Alaska, we're fishing this river and there's these guys with uh, seven weight rods 
nine foot seven weight rods fishing salmon right across the bank from us and we could land because hooking these fish was not a problem is like there's so many fish you could hook fish no problem we could land two fish in the time it took them to land one fish wow um, because what happened is that they'd reel that fish in they get it kind of close and that fish realizes it's hooked or they get it in shallow water and that fish takes off again and it takes off and it peels a bunch of line off their reel and then they have to reel that fish in again and it, that kind of happens back and forth a little bit but with us it's like that fish takes off and you take a few steps up river and it takes off down river and you take a few steps down river until you kind of wrangle that fish over close to you and you net it or you have a buddy net it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can land these fish really quickly, which is better for you because then you know you're going to land this fish and get a picture and all that. And it's better for the fish because you're not tiring them out. For sure. As much. But I assume you have to use quite a strong tippet then uh, just to make sure it doesn't break and so you can land them as, as quickly as yeah. possible. Yeah, we would, we would use pretty strong tippet. And with these 10 car rods, the rods flex so much that uh, you can get away with lighter tippet than you might think. Oh, okay. So, um, because you don't have a really, really stiff rod, the rod is flexing a lot. So it's taking some of the pressure off that tippet. So yeah, a lot of times you can go lighter than you think. How do you think we're going to um, legalize... Tenkara in New Zealand. Looked at a whole thing how to legalize Tenkara in New Zealand. It's like selling weed and then <laughs> running a campaign. It's like I just I was like awake on pain meds like three o'clock Wednesday morning and I just wrote it down and I forgot off of it. So because like I told you earlier, I was just high on pain meds and I came up with a couple of ideas, but none of them are, are viable. <laughs> because you were high. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, because they're far out. <laughs> um, I think it's something that uh, we would need to definitely present in front of the fishing game. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. To like in a professional way, you know, to show like, hey, this is because, like I was just saying, like we can land these fish. We're not going to tire them out, and show that it's like an ethical way of fishing. Yeah. First of first of all, um, to where it's uh it's gonna be helpful for the fish and it's not gonna harm the fish or the fishing in any way yeah so i think that's probably the first step is helping them actually understand what tenkara fishing is yeah 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 and then once they have that understanding then we could kind of work from there as far as like okay now let's kind of change the wording on this rule yeah. or whatever so that we can make it so people can fish with these tenkara rods love to help out any way i can i mean because we, you know, we want to go back out to New Zealand again. We would just love to bring our Tenkara rods and actually use them this time. So I think I dig to not have all that equipment. I think that's yeah. a good thing, man. Just popping something in the backpack and just seeing if you can put a, a line through the water um, every now and then uh, on a yeah. hike or something. Because there's a lot, like uh, if you're going south of Auckland um, by an hour, pretty much any river that doesn't have like a lot of um, agricultural runoff will have trout in it. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of fish here and, and, and different, and there's a lot of spring fed rivers here, which is awesome uh, to fish. But then obviously it's awesome fishing those big, <laughs> those big fish 
for for Instagram, you know, so you can <laughs> show people you've got the stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, New Zealand, it seems like you guys are on it there. You got good access to public land. You have lots of private landowners that are on board with allowing access through their property to fish or camp or even hunt and stuff like that. And so you got a lot of good things going there. I think there just needs to be an understanding of what Tenkara is and that it uh, it's not going to be harming the fish or anything like that in any way. There's been a bit of change in the in, in public land access in the states, as far as I understand. I follow uh, Meat Eater, and mm-hmm. and and some of the stuff they post. Um, so so what what has the changes been, and how will it influence kind of you as a as a as a fly fisherman or a tenkara fisherman? Yeah. So the changes have been, as far as I know, is uh, there's certain like pieces of public land that are that have been kind of like up for sale as far as being sold off to for mining and some other things um, and even other parts that are still public land but they have mining leases on them yeah. so for example like out kind of by where drew lives there's it's all public land it's national forest but there's these different gold mining leases and it can be harmful as far as some of the contaminants and just sediment that's put into the river system as a byproduct of mining, uh, it can really hurt the salmon. And believe it or not, like as far as we are inland here in Idaho, we have salmon and steelhead that make it all the way from the Pacific hundreds of miles. Wow. And it's a really cool thing, right? It's like, could you imagine before all these dams were here, like how many salmon were coming up through these rivers and now we have all these dams and luckily there's fish weirs or uh, fish ladders and stuff at Adam so fish can still make it but you know there's all these other that's a whole nother issue is all the dams but uh, we have these salmon that are coming up in here but if we're polluting these river systems or dumping too much sediment in and stuff like that then they're not going to keep coming back their spawning grounds will be ruined yeah and so then you have this amazing fish that you know has been doing this for hundreds and hundreds of years and it could come to a stop in fact in some river systems it has come to a stop so um it's cool to see in in redfish lake which is named redfish because of the salmon uh that's up near stanley idaho in central idaho they just had their first two sockeye salmon like a couple of weeks ago show up to redfish lake and i think one year there was only one salmon that made it and so far there's two and they'll get a bunch more the salmon run seems to be pretty good but um public land it's uh yeah it's just becoming an issue here as far as uh access and stuff too so like in idaho you can stay within the high water mark and even if you are on someone's property no one can own river bottom yeah yeah, and so with as long as you're within the high water mark you have a right to be there but other states like utah has gone back and forth on that a couple times Uh, i know montana uh, you can own river bottom so people can kick you out like uh and even colorado you know, we fished Colorado once and they said, uh, you know, you can't drop anchor 
in certain pieces of this river because your anchor touching the river rocks on the bottom of the river is trespassing. Wow. I was like, wow, that's pretty wild. So there's a, there's lots of different things when it comes to access or public land, but uh, main issues are preserving, you know, the animal, the natural species that we have here, like salmon and, and those fish and uh, making sure that we have access so that we can enjoy it and future generations can enjoy it. I would hate for, you know, Drew has a, a boy and a girl. I have two boys and a girl. I would hate it if all those kids wouldn't be able to go out and fish some of the same areas that we've been fishing or, or camping and di just different public lands. So it's uh, definitely an issue right now. So the, 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 there was a law change and it said some of these parcels of land are not for sale anymore. Is that the basis of it and won't be for sale any, ever or, or what, what's kind of the... Yeah, there's like um, some stuff with the Bears Ear National Monument down in uh, southern Utah and, and uh, a few other places. And then like one of the things that Meat Eater talks about too is how you have uh, public land that's completely surrounded by private land so there's no way to access it unless you oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it with a helicopter mm -hmm. so just working on different ways to access these public lands and then another problem that I feel like all of us can work on because you might look at these public land issues and be like well how do I make a difference yeah. you know how do I go out and and cast my vote or whatever but one thing that we can do is just really take care of the public land that we do have and yeah, take yeah. care of the access points that we do have yeah it's yeah. sad and it's such a bummer to go out fishing or camping or hunting and you're finding beer cans or trash yeah um so really it's just a a matter of one thing that we can all do right now is just make sure that we take care of what we do have treat it with respect yeah. and uh, clean up our trash and take care of these these awesome places that we have currently for sure yeah dude because uh once it's gone then everybody's gonna complain right <laughs> and then yeah exactly yeah. especially out here in the west we're so lucky to have so much public land we have so much public land out here that's awesome yeah i think new zealand has a ton of public land and and um I'm too new to fully realize how to access some of those spaces, but there's a couple of great websites and apps you can use uh, to access it. And that's my goal, like for the next couple of years, man, just to like use as much of it as I can and fish as much water and hunt as much as I can, because a, lo a lot of the species here, um, because they're invasive, uh, the government poisons them. They put out like poison on carrots and they just eat it. And, and, and even though I've hunted for a while, I, I don't like killing stuff. Like I always feel sad until I've got like a steak on the grill, then I'm happy. But <laughs> you know, um, uh, I'd rather shoot something and he's gone like that. And uh, then someone go out and poison them. And, and that's responsible use of public land. And it, it, it opens it up for people for the, for the future. So if I have kids, yeah, man, you dig to have them be able to access that stuff and, and just keep on because it can keep on forever unless someone really messes up and then someone draws a line in the sand and says okay well that's finished so yeah, uh, yeah. you made a good point too you say 
like I don't really enjoy killing things. I think most hunters don't enjoy the killing part of it. They like the hunting part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the the reward is the meat. So you say like you feel better about it when you get to put that steak on the grill or whatever. Um, so you're using that meat, right? Yeah, but when sure. they're they're poisoning because it's an invasive species, they're like, we got to get rid of this. Yeah. Anyway, you know how, and so they they poison these animals. But you have a groups of hunters, even here in the U.S., they're saying, no, we'll go out to New Zealand and we'll hunt these animals and put money down bro yeah and money. We'll bring money to the new zealand economy and we'll use the meat i mean that to me makes sense rather than poisoning them for sure but that that that's stuff i'm gonna talk a lot about <laughs> on this podcast dude but uh yeah tuna man thanks that was awesome dude freaking yeah, i followed you guys for so long on instagram and i really dig what you guys are doing and I really dig that you guys are stoked. Even in the email you said to me, yeah, you're stoked to talk. And um, I think that's the big thing, man. A bunch of people who are stoked to go out yeah. and hunt fish. That's what you want, dude. Just um, yeah. digging the outdoors. So you guys yeah, are doing it. Wow. And you're, memories. you're surely inspiring me to get out on the water. And I'm like tanging friends and stuff. We're like, oh, we should do this. Or, oh, look at this guy's trip. We should do a trip like that. So yeah, uh, yeah you're setting the bar right up there, dude. Um, All right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Cool, man. Thank you. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk again in future. Uh, I don't know when and why, but uh, if if I'm in the States, I'll hit you guys up. And, yeah, definitely. Uh, Let us know. I'll, I'll cool. go visit my brother, say hi to him, and then get in a plane and go to Idaho and go fish. Yeah, yeah. Come to Idaho. <laughs> spots or something. It'd be fun. Yeah, sweet. Cool, man. Cheers. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Thanks. Cheers.